Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Jesus is amazing. He is the coolest dude you'll ever get to know. And uh, if you're not excited about Jesus, just wait. You haven't seen nothing yet. And so I'm excited. This has been a long time coming. We, many have already said, but we, we've been talking about this, that if we had two weeks off, and it's felt like an eternity. And so you know something's pretty important when you've not been away long, but you miss it that badly. So we love you all. We're excited to be back with you. And uh, we're starting something new today as we are entering the new year. But before we get into uh, today, and I think we're going to end with something really special uh, I just want to kind of recap what God has been doing over the last few years with our church. It, uh, it was just a few years ago that, that I heard on this radio broadcast about setting New Year's resolutions, and, and it really has really stuck, stuck with me, and I've tried to implement it in my life and really in our ministry, is that rather than just accumulating several New Year's resolutions, things that you want to do differently in the new year, because we all know it's, it's like this well-known thing that when you set New Year's resolutions, you only got about two weeks before you ruin them all. Right? We, we, we set them. We're like, oh, we're, it's going to be different this time. I, I'm going to lose all the weight this time. I'm going to stay. I'm going to get active. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get more organized. I'm going to be better at this. But time goes. Not very much time goes by, and it's just back to the way it was. We get in that rut, Right? And so the, the advice was, the wisdom was, rather than choosing New Year's resolutions, pray and ask God for a word, one word to be your theme through the year, something that God is speaking over your life, something that, that can help guide maybe your decisions, your thought processes, things that, that God wants to do in you throughout the year. And that really meant a lot to me in, the, in that season. And so uh, in 2019... The word that I felt like God was speaking over our church was the word grow. And in that season, that year, was probably one of the most difficult years we had. Because we were on the cusp of uh, really, really kind of a, a downward turn. We, we didn't have as many, like, look around the auditorium. I mean, this is awesome. You see that? This is amazing. So thankful for each and every one of you. Just being here, you're an encouragement. I just want you to know that. You don't, you don't even have to do anything. Just show up. Just show up, and you encourage other people. But in 2019, we had less than half of this crowd. And we were losing money every week on our bills and our finances. And we were in desperate times. We didn't know what we were going to do. And, and the word for 2019 was grow. And so we're at the end of 2019, and we're like, a lot of growth happened here, God. We're, we're, we're like going in the exact opposite direction. But what, what I come away with is, is knowing that God wasn't wanting us to grow numerically, even though I think that's in his plan. God was interested in spiritual growth as we learn to know him and know him more deeply, become more desperate for his presence, to walk in greater faith, begin to exercise our spiritual gifts and advance the, the kingdom of God without having all of the expectations that really our flesh puts on us. That when it comes down to it, just having us and Jesus had to be enough. And so that was growing, growing spiritually in 2019. And then, and then in 2020, God began to do some remarkable things. The, the word for 2020 was fanatic. 
because we're going to get crazy about Jesus. And as we were you know, like diving into the word fanatic, um, and I was pressing in and praying, I had a, 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 just a couple of goals in mind for the year. I, I thought, okay, 2019 was a rough one, 2020. We're going to pray for 20 new families to come in 2020. And so we started our, our prayer night. We started praying, and we're like, God, we're just believing you for 20 new families in 2020. And then the awesomest thing happened in March. COVID-19 shut everything down. How do you build a church when you can't even meet together? Right? It's like this astronomical thing. It's like, okay, we're crazy. We're fanatical, but it's for a whole different reason. Right? But in that, God just gave me a word. He said that he was leading us into a season of rest. This was at the beginning. Of the day. This was January. That, yeah, we're getting fanatical, but we're entering into a season of rest. And, man, we rested a lot. Anybody who was sick knows that you did nothing but rest during COVID-19. It was kind of funny. We were at a leadership conference, and my wife and I were, were there with our team, and, and the session we were in was all about, about that prophetic word. And the, uh, the main speaker talked about the gift of prophecy, and, and other pastors joined him at the end of the uh, time, and they were speaking words over the congregation, much like we do over the last Sunday of the month uh, here with our prophetic team. And uh, you know when you have that feeling like at school where the teacher is calling on people to give an answer, you know you're going to get called on. You just know. Well, uh, like I knew that. I was like, okay, somebody's going to pick us out. But things kept going on and on and on, and we're getting to the end, and we hadn't been called out yet. And I was doing everything. I was doing the slouch down, head down, my eyes down. I was like, please don't call on us, you know, type of a thing. And the last uh, person gets spoken over was the pastor pulled Tony and I up out of our seats, and he began to tell us that we were working, we're like racing, and, and God's going to slow us down. He's, he's going to uh, like teach us how to rest, to, to slow us down, because there's work that he has for us to do, but we need to not be overrun all the time. And two days later, we get hit with the sickness, and we get flattened out for two weeks. It was, it was insane, the things that were going on. But during the COVID-19, man, we got to do church in our living room. We did it online. And there's some precious moments as our kids were our camera crew and our teardown team. And, and we were doing live worship and communion together as a family. It was really, really a beautiful thing. And I look back on it now and think, you know what, that wasn't so hard. It was precious. In 2020, after we came out of all, all, all that, we began to grow. And we had 20 new families join us in 2020, and our finances tripled, and we had more money than what we could spend, and we were able to fully fund an emergency uh, budget and begin a building program of, like, saving towards our own house one day. And then 2021, the word God shared with us was the word build. And the prophetic word that, that he was speaking over us was kind of a expounding on 2019, recovering from 2019, recovering from 2021, that we were going to uh, continue to grow and continue to move forward, and that's when we were able to purchase our property, and bless, praise God for what he was doing as he was building upon the things that he had already spoken in our ministry, and then last year, I think uh, Scott caught this bug more than anything, because he uses this word in just about every morning announcement, and in prayer time, the word was move. 
So we were believing that God was going to move in in us and move through us. And we recognized we couldn't stay the same as we were. We had to keep moving forward. Like how many know if if you're not moving, you're dead? If you're not moving, you ain't going nowhere. You're you're dead. And so we we didn't want to stay the same. We didn't want to get stagnant. We didn't want to just grow old as a church. We wanted to be a part of a move of God. And so we began praying that God would move, began seeking move. We we started the year with a... uh, a fast time of fasting and prayer, 20, uh, 22 days of fasting and prayer together. And God began to move in our hearts. And lo, did we know that at the end of the year, we would literally move as God led us to pick up this office space, this small group space that we could do ministry now Monday through Sunday and not just on Sunday mornings. It's going to be an exciting time. And so, so I'm really encouraged about what God's been doing, and I can see his hand on our ministries. He's been guiding us through, through the ups and downs, the struggles and the triumphs, and I'm so thankful that you all have been part of that journey. But today, we enter a new year and a new season. And in 2023, the word that the Lord laid on my heart towards the end of last year was the word focus, to focus. And I'm reminded of our, our sermon series we just ended the year with last year was about finishing well and how Jesus has given the church many, encourage, many encouragements uh, in the scripture. I'm reminded of when he told the disciples that anyone who puts his hand to the plow but then looks back is unfit to be my disciple. In other words, Jesus doesn't want people who start and quit. He wants people who start and keep going. I'm also reminded that, that what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.7, he says that testing and trials produce greater faith, and our faith is like precious gold to God. So trials produce treasure. And, and so it's not the goal to get out of struggle, to get out of trial, but it's to endure them so that our faith is refined and we become greater and more valuable to God. The number 10 in Scripture represents testing. It's often associated with different ways that God has tested the people. If you think of the Old Testament, how many commandments are there? 10. And what was it? It was a test of faith. Will you believe in me? Will you allow me to be the one true God, or are you going to go after other gods? There were 10 plagues in Egypt. God tested the Egyptians and the Egyptian gods with 10 plagues. In the Feast of Israel, between between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, the highest holy feast, there are ten days of awe for testing and repentance. In the book of Daniel, Daniel was tested for for ten days with not eating the king's meat. And so we're kicking off 2023 with our theme of focus with also a test. Because God wants to test and try us, not to bring difficulty or struggle, but he wants to refine us into who he's called and created us to be. And out of that testing comes greater treasure. And so as we did last year, seeking God together uh, in uh, fasting and prayer, my challenge for us this year is also to enter this year with a time of fasting and prayer. And so we have developed a 10-day devotional for us to go through beginning tomorrow. And so you can pick this up at the Connection Center on your way out. But the, the idea is this, that for 10 days, we're going to go through a time of testing as we fast and pray, asking God to help us focus this year on his vision that he has, not just for us personally, but also as a church. 
How many of you know that a church is made up of people and not just one entity? And so if you're not following God, and I'm not, I'm not following God, then guess what? The church isn't following God. It takes all of us together to be seeking God every day in our lives, to be walking out his will for our lives, for us as a body to fulfill what God has for us. And I believe God has great things in store for our church. I think God has great things in store for you. I think God has great things in store for me. But we are going to be tested. And what's, what's interesting to me is this is the word for this year. How many of you know that this April will be our ninth anniversary? Which means this year we enter our 10th year of ministry. How many of you know that 10 is a number of testing? We're completing the first decade, the first test of our faith, of our endurance. And we've had to endure setting up and tearing down, coming early, staying late, the work, the effort, the invasion of homes with massive amounts of people in little spaces, the cleanup, the, you know, the phone calls, all, all the things that we've done over 10 years in these past nine years has been incredible. It's a testimony of God's goodness. And I'm excited to see what's going to come after we pass this test. test. But a verse that keeps coming to my mind, and it's the one we all know. I mean, if you walk into Hobby Lobby, you're not going to be able to get through the store without seeing this verse somewhere. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. If you know it, quote it with me. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. How many of you know that verse or have at least heard it once in your life? Yes. We, we quote that. It's one of the most comforting verses when you're going through a time of struggle. But how many of you know that Jeremiah prophesies, he speaks for God, he gives that verse just after he tells the people of Israel, but not for 70 years. Because of your rebellion and sin, you're going to have to be exiled to Babylon, and you're going to be there for 70 years. But I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. Put yourself in that position, right? Like, I'm 40 years old. If God were to give me a promise and say, I know these plans, they're for good, but you're not going to see them fulfilled for 70 years. I'm not going to be alive to see the fulfillment. Well, when we hear God give promises and we ask God for things, for blessing, for breakthrough, breakthrough, we want it immediately. And often God will speak. He'll give us a word. He'll give us a word about restoration, of healing, of breakthrough. But sometimes, even though we know God is faithful, he cannot lie. If he speaks it, it's true. It will come to pass. But sometimes it's a promise that is beyond our lifetime. It's a promise that will happen. Sometimes the promise is fulfilled in glory in heaven. Sometimes it's really not for us, but it's for future generations. But we have a pivotal role and seeing that come to fulfillment. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 54, he's writing about the same time. And just to camp on this for just a minute, Isaiah is telling the nation of Israel as they're getting ready to go into exile, he says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. 
For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your inhabitants be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and the people of desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. You will not be confounded. You will not not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For the maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted, grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Up until this point, it's like, oh man, that's great. All my struggle, all the barrenness, all the turmoil, God's going to turn it around. It's going to be this amazing thing. He's like, the blessing's coming. Your tent's going to be enlarged. But look what he says in verse 7. He says, for a brief moment, I deserted you. But with great compassion, I will gather you again. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord. How many of you know that before you can be gathered, you have to be deserted? Before you can be accepted, you have to first be rejected. You see, we miss this. We go through life thinking everything's supposed to be peachy keen, no problems, never any trouble or struggle because, because we know the Lord or we believe in Jesus Christ. But how many of you know that often before the breakthrough comes, you have to break? So how do you stay in it and stay faithful when the promise is afar off and you're in the middle of circumstances? Well, God says, sit tight, enlarge your tent, get comfortable, expand and plant roots, prepare for the blessing to come, because one day the nations that rule over you will belong to you anyway. The place of your desolation will become the place of your dominion. The place of your prison will one day become the place of your palace, And just to nail this down, the place of your slavery will one day become the place of your salvation. Beloved, you have to keep a future mind intact when you know that God is working something out on your behalf. Where you are right now, your current circumstances, is not where you'll be when the breakthrough comes. There is something coming that is going to make everything worth it. God's promised. But not for 70 years. Not, not until the time is right. So how do we stay faithful? How do we hold on? Well, beloved, it takes focus. It takes focus. And I know some of you, you're in it right now. You're in a struggle. You are battling something right now. You're crying out to God every day. There's not been a time when you haven't cried yourself to sleep because of this burden on your heart. And you wonder, God, where are you? You've promised, I've read, I've believed, I just sang some awesome songs. If you missed the message of that second song, you need to go back and listen to it on YouTube and let the words hit your heart. God, you make a way when there is no way. That's who we serve. 
But when you're in it, how do you stay faithful? How do you stay focused? Well, I believe that the Word of God has given us some encouragement, some instruction. Instead of looking back at what was, like the good old days, or instead of being absorbed with your present circumstances and the weight of your problems, we need to look in a specific place. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 and 4, the writer of Hebrews tells us we need to look at the cross. When you're in it, when you're struggling, the one place you focus is on the cross. The Word of God says, consider him. Meditate on this. Think about it. Give thought to this. Focus on this one thing. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or fainted-hearted. The Bible tells us when you're in it, when you're struggling, when you're suffering, when you're persecuted, when you feel like your life's falling apart, the one place you focus is on Jesus and his cross, on the Lord and his sacrifice. Meditate on what he went through, and then you won't give up. You won't give up. Verse 4, he says, you won't get faint-hearted in your struggle against sin because you've not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. He's saying when you compare what you're going through to what he's gone through for you, you'll realize you have it really good. You don't have it so bad. Until you get to that point where you have given even your, your life for the cause of Christ, when you've given your life for the cause of justice and righteousness, when until the point you have shed your blood to the point of death in this issue, you have it actually really good. Really good. The writer of Hebrews says, don't look around at your circumstances. Don't get discouraged at the slowness of his promise, but look back at the cross. And this is important because this is exactly what the early church did after the day of Pentecost. After Jesus ascended to heaven and they felt abandoned. Now they're like, oh, he was here. Now he's not here. Now we're just waiting around. They're waiting on the day that the promise of the Holy Spirit would come. Acts chapter 2 happens. The Spirit's poured out. What a glorious day. They're filled with the Spirit. They're anointed with power to change the world, to turn the world upside down. And what do they do? They begin devoting themselves to some things. In Acts 2.47, we read that they devoted themselves to, to many things, to teaching, to prayer, to worship. But more importantly, they devoted themselves to sharing in the Lord's Supper, to communion. And I believe in doing so, they were richly blessed. You know, growing up, I grew up in a church tradition. We didn't do the Lord's Supper very often, a couple times a year. And when I started out in ministry, that's kind of what we were doing. We were doing it just a few times a year because I thought, you know, if we're not going to do it with meaning, why do it? Uh, I was part of a church ministry uh, years ago, and we would do it the first Sunday of every month. month. But when you're behind the scenes, you get to see what really happens at church and who forgot it was their month and how we didn't have supplies. Now we're rushing to Family Dollar to get backup supplies and all this stuff, and it just felt like, man, there's no intention behind this. So when we started our ministry, it was like, well, we'll do it when we can put intention behind it. So when we do it, we'll do it well. You know, that's, that was the idea. But as I read this passage of Scripture, I noticed that the early church, they didn't, they didn't forsake communion, but they devoted themselves to it. It's why they got together. 
It wasn't because they had an awesome praise team. It wasn't because they had awesome coffee in the the lobby or the best kids ministry. They got together for communion, for the Lord's Supper. And in the early church, in the church of Corinth, there was a lot of shenanigans happening in the church and especially how they celebrated the Lord's Supper. And so the Apostle Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to read kind of his instruction here, because they were neglecting the Lord's Supper. They were neglecting communion, and not really in forsaking doing it, but they were just misusing it or abusing the reason why they were doing it all together. together. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, beginning at verse 17, here's what Paul says to the church. He says, in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. For when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So even though they had the elements, they had the bread, they had the wine, it wasn't the Lord's Supper that they were eating. Look at what he says. He says, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Imagine that, people getting hammered at church. I mean, the juice they had wasn't Welch's. It was real wine. That's what they drank. So they had the elements for the Lord's Supper, but he's saying, that's not the Lord's Supper. You might be eating the stuff, but that's not the Lord's Supper. One is coming in and eating all the food so that when the next comes in, they have nothing to eat. There's something greater and more profound about this ceremony than what we think of in our own minds. He says in verse 22, he says, Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Like, I told you exactly what Jesus himself told me. He said, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What he's saying is what we're doing here, we are remembering his sacrifice on the cross. We are coming together. This is the great equalizer. This is what unites everyone together, no matter where you were born, how much money you have, what kind of education you have. The great equalizer is we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And if we want to go to heaven, we have to go God's way, and that's through the cross. It's through the cross. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Verse 27. Wherefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. If you come willy-nilly and you eat without recognizing what you're doing... It's not blessing you walk away with, but it's judgment. That's why, Paul says, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. 
But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined, so we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it won't be for judgment. In other words, this isn't a buffet meal. This isn't your appetizer before you leave and go get your lunch. There's something significant about what we're about to do. The practice of communion, eating at the Lord's table, is a symbolic practice. If you think of the Old Testament sacrifices, there's multiple books in the Old Testament about all the many sacrifices the Israelites had to keep. It's really hard to get through that without at least a couple of naps. I'm just telling you. But they're significant. And Jesus Christ, his once and for all sacrifice, fulfilled every one of them. And so we don't have to kill bulls and offer the blood of animals anymore because he has exchanged flesh for bread and blood for wine. And in faith, as they offered their sacrifices, Israel was greatly blessed. They didn't trust in the sacrifices, they trust in God, and God greatly blessed them. Matter of fact, he promised that if you would obey me and keep my commandments, I'll bless you beyond any nation, and you'll be the envy of nations. And the same is true for the body of Christ. If we come and we observe this supper in faith, God is going to richly bless us, and we'll be the envy of nations. So this reminds us of what Christ did but it also accomplishes something for us. The first thing communion accomplishes for us as we focus on the cross, number one is it's representative of Christ's victory in his first coming. Christ overcame. That's why he said, in this life you'll have many trials and troubles, but you can be of good cheer because I've what? I've overcome the world. Yes, he gave his life, but he also took his life back. He overcame. So when we do this in remembrance of him, we do it lest we forget what he did. If we're going, if we're going through trouble and struggle, we're waiting on a breakthrough to come, and we want to focus on Christ and his cross to keep us faithful in this time, we need to remember what he did. We need to practice his supper. We need to come to his table to remember to keep his sacrifice sacred and keep it secure in our hearts. So we practice communion to keep the cross as central and importance in our hearts and help us not lose our connection to what he did. Every time we come to the table, we can reignite the appreciation and thankfulness we have that our sins are forgiven, our stains are no more, and there's a record of our name in heaven. Number two, in communion, we also proclaim his second coming. Paul says you proclaim the Lord's death until he what? Until he comes. So if he came the first time and fulfilled everything he said he was going to do, guess what he's going to do? He's going to come again, which means there's a future promise. There's something to look forward to in his second coming. So we're declaring his faithfulness in his first coming to encourage us to trust in his faithfulness in his second coming, to encourage faith and hope. If he came and fulfilled everything in the past, he will do so at the appointed time. This encourages us to keep hope as we proclaim his death until he comes. 
Hebrews again, 12, 33 through 4, he says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. We come to the Lord's table to encourage our hope, to encourage our faith. So we look back at his cross to look forward at his second coming, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Number three, communion is also unifying. It's a deeply connecting ceremony to God and to one another. Acts 2, 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and in sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. That word fellowship is an important word. It's the word koinonia. And that word koinonia, it means participation. It means intercourse. It means mutual benefit. So this passage records that they devoted themselves to especially the Lord's table, but also mutual agreement, mutual benefit, mutual service, and it created a type of spiritual fellowship that we don't get anywhere else. So we don't come to the table because we're hungry for food or for bread. We come to the table because we're hungry for the Lord. And as we come to the table, it unites us together as we're all mutually blessed and benefited. As we participate in his blessing and his presence, as we share in his body and his blood. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So the symbolism is this. There's one piece of bread, and as it's broken, each of us eat. And as each of us eat a piece of the one body, we all become part of that one body. It unites us together. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, Paul says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. So it unites us together in our most holy faith. Jesus unites us in spirit as we commune with his presence, with his body and his blood. The one bread is broken so that many eat, and together the many are made one. One cup is poured out so many drink and are made one blood together. And though these are physical elements, literal bread and literal juice, there's also a spiritual significance to them. Think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. He says, whoever drinks or eats an unworthy manner is guilty concerning of the body and blood of the Lord. There's a spiritual reality. There's a spiritual reality. It's not just eating bread and juice. This is something greater than a snack at a table. Those who eat in an unworthy manner are guilty concerning the body and blood. They haven't discerned that this is the body and it is the blood of Jesus Christ. So though we eat bread and drink wine, in the physical sense, we're communing spiritually with his body and with his blood. As his spirit unites us together. We become one with the Lord in communion as a husband and wife become one in the marriage bed. It's a physical union, yes, but there's also a spiritual union that takes place, a uniting together. So as we come to the table of the Lord, we're also united in spirit with the Lord, which is why to abuse the Lord's table, taking the body and blood for granted, is to also abuse the body and blood of the Lord. And it's not just Jesus, it's one another, because we are one. We're one together. And Paul declares that abusing the table releases judgment, not blessing, which includes sickness, disease, and even premature death. He's saying, examine your heart. 
Take an account of your own life because when you take for granted the table of the Lord, you risk bringing a curse upon yourself. So examine your heart. Check your attitude. Because in eating and drinking, you could be eating and drinking a curse upon yourself because you're not reverencing the body of the Lord. You're abusing the body of the Lord. But what I like about that warning is that there's also a positive spin to it. Because if the negative is true, then the positive is also true. If you do discern the body, if you do revere the Lord, if you do walk in faith in your participation in the table, then the opposite is true. It's not sickness, illness, and death. It's healing, health, life, and blessing that is poured out into your life. And what Paul is getting at, he's getting at is this, this group of people, they were missing the blessing because they didn't know what they were doing. They were taking it for granted. But there's a greater blessing that will be poured out in your life when you reverence the body and blood, when you discern the body. And it wasn't until a few years ago I really began to understand this. When every time I'd read that passage in Acts and I would see that this is what they got together for, they didn't get together because they wanted to have fun. They got together to observe the Lord's Supper. And in that, there was teaching, there was singing, there was prayer. But they got together for this purpose, to remind themselves daily sometimes that what the Lord had done for them. And as I was moved in, in my heart, as I was convicted, I realized that we needed to do this more often. We, we needed to do it, and so we began to do it every week in our services, and, and that's why it's at the beginning, because we want to set the tone for every time we gather together, that it's not for any reason other than the cross of Christ and what Jesus has done for us as to why we're here, to give us opportunity to not only connect our hearts to him, but unite our hearts together in spirit, to be filled with the joy of his presence and benefit one another with his life and sacrifice. So, beloved, just as friends need to hang out to grow in their relationship, and a married couple needs to connect intimately for the health of their marriage, so does the bride of Jesus need to connect with her groom. Intimacy keeps the passion burning. And we fellowship in intimacy together when we come to the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper is also called, in Scripture, the breaking of bread. It's also called... The love feast. It's what the early church used to call it. It's the love feast. It's because when they come to the table, they get to experience the love of Almighty God. As his body was broken for them. And his blood was poured out on their behalf. And it has blessed me so that I don't feel confident many times to come up here and sing and to even preach until I've been at the Lord's table. And it was a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, that we had finished praise band practice early as we do every Sunday morning. And I asked my wife to join me. It's like, well, let's, let's take it now because we don't usually have time to, to do it when everyone does it together because we're busy doing other things. So I was like, let's, let's stop and let's just eat together and let's worship the Lord together here before we have to get on with the service, and so we took the elements, and we prayed, and I could just feel the presence of the Lord descend upon us, and I asked her, I was like, did you feel that? And she looked at me, and she's like, yeah, I did. 
It's because there's something spiritual. There's something supernatural that takes place when you're doing it in faith. You're communing with the body and the blood of the Lord. And I believe God has a blessing he wants to pour out on you. But I also believe we miss that blessing because we often come to the table in an unworthy manner. And a couple of reasons why we do that, I think number one is we take it for granted. We don't honor it because we approach it religiously. Well, this is just what Christians do. Oh, it's that time again. Let's just get in line. Let's walk down. Let's get my, get my bread, get my juice. Okay, they said the prayer. Boom. All right. What else are we going to do? We don't discern the body. We take it for granted because we're taking it religiously. Number two, we don't take it. We don't see the need for it. Uh, not today. I'm not in the mood. And so we skip it. Or number three, we haven't dealt with our hearts before coming and there's things in our lives that make us feel guilty and ashamed and unworthy and rather than accepting God's forgiveness by repenting of that and coming and being blessed by his presence, we just hold on to it and we abstain. But beloved, the amazing thing of the season we just came through, the Christmas season, my favorite season of the year, is there is one name for Jesus that the communion represents most beautifully. That's the name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God what? God with us. God with us. His body and his blood. Stories over in scripture of people who just wanted to touch Jesus so they could find healing. The body, body and the blood. You want to touch him? Here he is. Here he is. He's here, and he's here, and he's here. He's with us. We're two or more gathered in his name. And I believe, beloved, to launch this year, to help us stay focused and not give up in our faithfulness in his calling, to continue to walk in blessing, we need to focus on his faithfulness, yes, but we need to focus on his cross so we won't get tired and grow weary and give up. And we need to approach his table anew, with fresh faith and reverence so that every time we eat and drink, it not only reminds us of what he endured and how he overcame, but we too can overcome. We too can endure if we stay faithful and stay focused on his vision and his word for our lives. So again, I'm challenging us this week, beginning tomorrow, to start 10 days of prayer and fasting. Like, well, what do I got to fast? Does that mean I don't need to eat all, all week long? No, you pray and ask the Lord what you, should, what you should set aside. Usually, whatever you're the most dependent on is what you most need to give up. For some, that's video games. For some, that's your cell phone and time on social media. For some, that's energy drinks and caffeine. For some, For some that's, that's food. Whatever God puts on your heart. Whatever you've put in his place, whatever you make an excuse that you need to do before spending time with him every day, that's probably what you need to give up. And spend that time with the Lord, praying through, meditating on scripture, and letting him lead you and speak to you and develop a vision and plan for your life. But before we start that tomorrow, we want to end well by coming to the Lord's table and receiving the blessing of his presence. So as the music begins to play, I want to invite you with these words. 
Oh, I forgot our computer's broken, isn't it? Just turn up the computer as loud as possible and unplug it so it can play. We'll just let the music play from the computer. Is it gone? No? Okay, well, we'll just do without it. This would be more effective if I had the, the, the music behind it. Oh, there we go. You hear it? Thank you, Lord. Oh, come to the table prepared for you. Come and dine on bread and wine. Come to the well and be filled, be filled with truth. Come and dine on bread and wine. Partake of the offering, his sacrifice. Come and dine on bread and wine. His body, his blood, his love divine. Come and dine on bread and wine. See, he was our divine substitution. Come and dine on bread and wine. His spirit has come. He makes us one. Come and dine on bread and wine. We are sons and daughters in the sun. Come and dine on bread and wine. Bring your sick, your lame, your dead. Come and dine on bread and wine. Find true life in all he has said. Come and dine on bread and wine. Find true life. Come, you stranger, and find your place. Come and dine on bread and wine. Find forgiveness in holy space. Come and dine on bread and wine. Discover hope and the glory to come. Come and dine on bread and wine. For he has conquered, beloved. He is one. Come and dine on bread and wine. May all your fear and regrets be past. So come and dine on bread and wine. For life is eternal and it will forever, forever last. Come, come and dine on bread and wine. His joy, his light is ours to hold. Come and dine on bread and wine. Just as his birth this too was foretold. Come and dine on bread and wine. As we remember the past and we look on from here, come and dine on bread and wine to the blessings of God for the upcoming year. Come and dine on bread and wine. No matter what comes or what may befall, come and dine on bread and wine. For the Lord is king and he is over it all. Come and dine on bread and wine. And if you doubt or be dismayed, come and dine on bread and wine. Just look to the bread and the cup he's made. Come and dine on bread and wine. All he accomplished in his death, come and dine in bread and wine. We can look back and we'll see afresh. Come and dine on bread and wine. And in those moments in the darkest night, come and dine on bread and wine. We will see again his glorious light. Come and dine on bread and wine. For the hope we have in the future to come, come and dine on bread and wine is a bridal feast in glory with the sun. Come and dine on bread and wine. And when we will feast with him forevermore, come and dine on bread and wine. We'll be overwhelmed in the goodness of the Lord. Come and dine on bread and wine. And as we gaze on that glory again, come and dine on bread and wine. We will sing, we will shout forever. Hallelujah, O Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today for your body and your blood. We thank you for your sacrifice. 
We thank you, God, that you are in it with us. You are walking with us. We thank you, God, that your invitation remains open. All who are heavy laden can come and find rest. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose and plan for our life. There may be a burden that we're battling and wrestling through right now, and the promise may be a long way off. But, God, we can stay faithful. We can stay focused. We can endure because Christ endured. His body was broken, and his blood was poured out on our behalf. And he stayed faithful. He never gave up. He never shrank back. He made it to the end, and he rose victoriously from the grave to prove that he was King of kings and Lord of lords. And God, as we wait for the promise for him to come, come. We, can we can be rest assured that you will fulfill not only his return, but every promise you've spoken. The promise of healing, the promise of breakthrough, the promise of restoration in our marriage, the promise of restoration in our family, the promise of rescue, the promise of lifting our heavy burdens and breaking off anxiety and depression and fear and all the ways the enemy gets us down, breaking off the curses of poverty and insecurity. And God, I just thank you, Lord, that the promise has been made and it will be done in Jesus' name. You who began a good work will see it through to completion because the one who has spoken is faithful and cannot tell a lie. I'm thankful, God, that the cross of Christ is the anchor for our soul that we have a more sure word of prophecy because everything you've spoken has been confirmed and validated. And we're thankful, God, for your table, that you have not left us alone, you have not abandoned us, but you sent us the Spirit. And as we come to the table and as we eat and as we drink of the bread and wine, the body and the blood, we're communing together with you, our Lord Jesus. So God, we gather in your name. In the name, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to bless the bread and bless the cup. And that you administer to us as we eat and we drink in the love of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.